Before you take your seat, if you would do me a favor, take one step to your right. Just one small step to your right. There you go. Helps me determine who knows which way is what. All right, now you can take your space back to your left. You can have a seat. Uh, as a teacher, I often have reading quizzes, and, and those quizzes are really just to assess uh, the ability to comprehend information and, and such. And I thought I might even start off tonight doing that. Uh, so I have a two-question quiz for you, and um, just first answer, don't overthink it. Uh, what is the first letter of the alphabet? You can say it out loud. <laughs> Sorry, the English alphabet, yes. A. And uh, the opposite of women. See, I told him I'd get everybody to say amen. He owes me $10 now. And the entire audience was moved uh, before they found their seats. Man, we can just pack up and go home, can't we? All right. Anyway, uh, we are going to start off tonight in the book of Philippians. You can go ahead and open your Bibles to that area. And we are going to uh, pray first, and then we'll, we'll get into it, because I think it'll, it'll make a little bit more sense that way. Uh, so Philippians chapter 4 is well where we'll pick up. And we'll open in prayer. Dear God, thank you for this day. Thank you for this opportunity to be here. Uh, thank you for all these people coming out. I ask that you would please give them something and that you would get me out of the way of it. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, any of you, if you, any of you have ever driven to Jackson on 49, there's this one spot that everybody loves that has about a mile and a half of just orange. And I, I honestly don't know what, it, what they do. To the best of my knowledge, that road construction near Jackson on 49 has been there my entire life. I, I can't tell you any time that I've gone to Jackson and it has not been there. And the worst part is that I've, I've seen people working. It's not even like there's nothing going on, but I just have no idea what they do or why it takes so long. And we were driving, uh, driving on that road a couple of weeks ago, and it took us, you know, the GPS is, is trying to take me a different route, and I thought, well, that's weird. That's not the way to go home. And so I'm going anyway, and sure enough, lo and behold, they've got one of the lanes closed off for road construction, and they, they only have the other side open. And what's novel to me is that nobody thought to just drive the way they would on a normal one-lane road uh, when only one lane was open. And uh, I had talked to Brother Nate about this earlier. It's, it's amazing, out of seven and a half billion people, somehow I'm the best driver. It, it boggles my mind. And yet, that, that's the way it seems to be. And it took us, I think, about 25 minutes to just get through that one spot. And I really wasn't annoyed because the road was under construction. Construction is a, is a good thing. It's a necessary thing. But what really annoyed me was that it wasn't completed. That's what bugged me, the fact that I can't tell you that I've actually seen any noticeable progress on all the construction that's gone. And it, it made me think, any, any job, construction or otherwise, has a single purpose. And that single purpose is to complete it. Any job, every job, has an end in mind. Your job is to do this, your job is over when you've done that. And what I find is there may be a correlation, possibly, to the, the construction on 49 and our, our church, our churches these days. This year, our theme has been about finding our now. And it's a, it's a wonderful theme. It's a theme I hope we can all get behind. But the key point of now is that it's, 
now and not later. It's not forever. It's, it's a job that's designed to be completed, to be finished. And when it's finished, you can move on to, to the next thing. And yet, I wonder if maybe we might be more similar to Highway 49 in that we, we have a lot of work that we're doing and it's good to make improvements. It's good to have construction. Uh, but if, if there's no end in mind to it, if there's no completion, in the end, it's just work. Uh, it's just work for the sake of working. And as such, we are, we're going to look at things a little bit differently tonight. Lately, we've been having uh, really greater exhortations on the series Finding the How to Our Now, which has been fantastic. In each Bible lesson, we've seen characters like Moses or, or Naaman see a need, find the opportunity, and fulfill that work behind it. And uh, all, all of that's good things. But I don't really have to tell you that you and I have a purpose and that our church has a purpose. We, we should all know that by now. Uh, but I do want to tonight talk about the same topic from a slightly different perspective. And it's not so much finding the how to our now, but finding the who to our now, uh, which it, we'll, we'll get into in a moment. Now, here's, here's what I mean. God gave Moses his now directly. He comes to him, he speaks to the burning bush, and he says, this is what you're going to do. Okay, great. Moses was, was told how. Uh, but then Aaron comes along, and God tells Moses to tell Aaron what to say to Pharaoh. And while Moses is told how, Aaron is told who. And both of them have a, a task they're working together to complete. One of them is given the how, and the other one is just told, well, I've, I've told somebody else how to do it, just find them, find who, and you'll figure out how. Same thing with uh, Gideon. God speaks to Gideon and he tells him what he's going to do, but God doesn't appear to each one of those 300 men that made it through all the tests and say, okay, here's what you're going to do. No, he told them, listen to Gideon. Gideon will tell you what I told him to do. So Gideon was told how, and all the men that went with him were just told who. And when they found their who, they were able to accomplish, accomplish their now. And that's, that's what we're going to talk about this evening. Uh, so if you will, look at your Bibles in Philippians chapter 4. And we're going to see how an entire church fulfilled its now by finding its who. And uh, we'll, we'll get started there. So Philippians chapter 4, look at verse, where was I? 1 through 3, we'll start there. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. Man, these folks are really loved. He tells, calls them dearly beloved twice. You can tell they have a special place in, in relationship to him. But drop down to verse 3. He says, okay, hello, that's your greetings. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with my other other my fellow laborers, whose names are in the book of life. Uh, we see here Paul is, is thanking this church for a number of things. He doesn't seem to have a negative thing to say about the entire church for the most part. And in all of this, he tells them, thank you so much. But then he asks them for something. He says, I need you to help some people. I need you to help some people who are helping me. And... We see later on, even in verse 15, 
Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity. And then to verse 18, but I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you. So we see here that Paul has all of these things that he, he needed, and he got them from this church, and he asked them for something else. And the reason he's asking them for help and the reason he's receiving these gifts are because these are things that he cannot do of himself. He, doesn't, he didn't have the resources that he needed, but they had the resources and they were able to give it to him. And so the first point is simply this. Because of Paul's wants, they found their need. Uh, specifically, they found their need to share the burden. They didn't just get a divine revelation that I know of, an angel coming to their church and saying, you need to give Paul some money, and also you need to help all these people that, that need help. No, they just heard about what he had need of. They knew who, and when they heard about what was going on with him, they simply said, okay, well, how can we help him? How can we meet his needs? He's lacking something. And yet he says by the end of it, he was full because all of the things that he had need of, they were able to supply for him. Now we see this referenced in verse three of chapter four when he calls this person the yoke fellow. And that's not some sort of dairy egg product that you would find at a restaurant. A yoke fellow is somebody who is working at the yoke with you. Now, a yoke, you think of this. This is a tool that binds two creatures together for the purpose of accomplishing a single task. That's what a yoke does. It causes you to use two things to do one thing, if you want to oversimplify it like that. And some jobs require more work than others. If you can't get it done with one ox, you pull another ox out, you yoke them together, and then you get the job done that way. And this mutual attachment to one another and this shared purpose is so important that when you refer to a group of oxen, you either call them in terms of yokes or you call them a team. Both of those terms are teamwork, right? Things that they do together. If you have six oxen, you might say, okay, I have three yoke of oxen because they're always classified in pairs and groups. They're, they're always working together to accomplish a goal. And when Paul calls this man his, his yoke fellow, this isn't just some sort of cliche uh, metaphor. This is a very apt description of what they were to him. Paul is saying, I could not do this by myself. I had a job. I was trying to do this, but I was unable to do this. But because you were in the yoke with me and you were there to help push that burden along, we were able to accomplish it together. And that's really what, what it was. Paul had wants. His, he lacked things. He was wanting of them. The church at Philippi had things that he needed, and they were able to put themselves together to yoke to each other to fulfill a single purpose. And what, what he's saying is, you and I are both working for the same goal because we can't do this alone. And if we want to apply that to our church this year, he would be saying, I have my own now. My now is to accomplish this purpose that God has given me. And your now is to help me accomplish mine. That's what he's telling them. And from this, we see that uh, a now is not necessarily only for you. Now, you may have something that God only wants you to do, and if so, that's, that's wonderful. But more often than not, God actually has something for us to do. It's 
our now specifically. And what we can't overlook is that other people are relying on us to be able to meet their own nows. And if God has a will for me and he tells me to do something and I am unable to do it, that means I need your help to do it. It is now our shared burden. And we have to do it together. Now, the church is, is like a yoke. We are all part of this body, and every part maketh the increase. Some people, like Paul, are given a specific burden. And it's wonderful. You can see it all over them. You can tell they have something that God wants them to do, and they are going to get it done one way or the other. Uh, but that burden is sometimes too heavy, and as a result, that person becomes an opportunity uh, for someone else to find their own need. Because this process allows people who don't see at first how, they can at least find who and get on board with that. And I know that's confusing. Uh, if Look at chapter 3, verse 14. So th this is what Paul is telling us is his goal. This is his now, what he is trying to accomplish. And he says, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That's what he's trying to accomplish. Everything else could be summed up in that statement. He's just pressing on for the mark of that high calling to accomplish what God has called him to do. And that's great. But yet, look at the next verse. So let us, wait a second, who, I thought this was Paul's burden. Wasn't he just talking about it, his own thing? Yes, I press toward the mark, but let us, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if in anything you be others wise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. It seems to be that Paul is telling them your need and your calling for the time being is to help me do my work. This is my mark, but it is your job to help me accomplish that. And not only that, he tells us that we are to get started doing that. Well, I'll give you an example first. We get it backwards sometimes. We want God to tell us, hey, go do that thing. And then we say, okay, thank you, God. And then we go and do that thing. But the way Paul seems to word this is not that we are waiting for God to tell us to do something, but I'm already doing something. Help me out. And that's your, God's will for you. And if it's not, he'll make sure he lets you know. Read that again. Verse 15. Let us, therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. How? To press towards this mark that I'm going for. Okay. Well, if anything you be otherwise minded, God should reveal even this unto you. He's telling them, okay, if you don't know how to accomplish God's will for your life, don't worry about it. Help me accomplish God's will for my life. And that'll be good enough for you. And if that's not what God wants you to do, he'll tell you. Now that requires some leap of faith, doesn't it? You just say, okay, well, I'm just going to hope that this is what my now is. And that if it's not, God will tell me otherwise. Again, that's not the way we think. We want God to say, okay, this is what you need to do, now go do it. But more often than not, God just says, well, find something to do, and I'll tell you if it's what I want you to do. It's almost like he's the same God that told Abraham, well, just start walking, and I'll tell you when you get there. If we're going to find God's will for us, don't you think it's going to be by faith? At some point, you're going to have to say, I, I don't know, and so I'm just going to have to go with what God's word says, and he says that if I join in somebody else's work, he'll let me know if that's not it. And that's the perfect thing for now, right? Your now needs to be done now, not later. 
If you don't know what God wants you to do right now, find somebody who already is doing something and work with them. That way you are redeeming the time. That's the best way to redeem the time. Instead of waiting around for yours, just find somebody else who already has one. Why would you try to find something else when there's plenty to be done? There, there's lots of work to go around, and yet we oftentimes miss that. Now, in the parable of Matthew 20, there's a certain man, and he goes to find laborers. And about the 11th hour, he goes, and there's only one hour of the day left. And he, this man has gone hour after hour after hour, finding more people to work in his field. And he goes at the 11th hour, the very last hour, and he finds people, and he says, why aren't you doing something? That's uh, not an exact quote, but that's what, what he says. Why aren't you doing something? And their, their excuse or their answer, however you want to read it, is simply, well, we don't know what our now is. No man hath hired us. Nobody told us what we were supposed to do. So we're just waiting around here on something to do. And his answer is astounding because he essentially just tells them, okay, go work with those people who've already been working all day and help them finish what they started. That's what your now is. And they go do that, and they receive rewards from it. We can't overlook the fact that it doesn't have to be, your now doesn't have to start with you. It could start with somebody else. You could see a need that somebody else has, a need that a ministry has in one area or another, and just simply say, you know, I could actually help with that. And then that becomes your now. It's not something that should cause you great distress that, oh, how am I supposed to figure out what is and what isn't? All you have to do is say, okay, well, this needs to be done. It's a good thing. It's within my power to do so. I shouldn't withhold it. Isn't that what Proverbs says? Withhold not good from them to whom it is due when it is done in thy power to do so. Again, he says, just do everything you can do, and I'll let you know if it's not what you're supposed to be doing. It's so counterintuitive, and yet that is what the will of God is. And they found the, the people in the, the parable, they found their now. They didn't have much time left, but they still redeemed what hour they had. We don't know how long we have left, but we could always help out somebody else. Now, again, if you're starting a ministry, God may have just showed you how, and that's perfectly fine. Go with that. But if God hasn't showed you your how, find somebody else that he has shown and say, okay, well, I'm going to find a who. And as soon as I can find a who, I can be in a yoke with them, and I can help them accomplish that goal. You don't necessarily have to be the visionary to still accomplish that vision. If you want to think of it this way, you don't have to know where the plow is heading to work at it. That's the plow master's job. It's not the oxen's job. They're just supposed to push. Uh, so there's, there's really no need to overthink the will of God. If you can't find out how, just find who. Uh, so we see first that because of Paul's wants, they found their needs. Uh, and they accomplished, they found their need in somebody else's need. When somebody else needed something, that was what they needed to do. Their goal was to help somebody else accomplish his goal. Uh, further on, if you don't know God's now for you, we can find more things with the who. We see this in uh, chapter 3, verse 17. Chapter 3, verse 17 says, Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an ensample. What Paul is saying here is, okay, if you want to figure out not only what to do, but maybe how to go about doing it, just find somebody else who's already done it. 
Again, there's no need to overcomplicate things when you don't have to. He says, if you don't know how, find who. Find somebody who's done it or who is doing it and look at the way they did it and then copy that. That's what he says, follow them. Not only that, chapter 4, verse 9, he adds to this, those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. What does that mean? It means see what was done and then do it that way. Again, it, we don't have to create a new way to do it. Now, we may have to, but if somebody else is already doing it and somebody maybe needs help doing it, the best thing that you can do, the best way you can fulfill God's will is simply, simply to do it with them or to do it for them. We see that in the, the needs he mentioned with their giving and their, their uh, gifts, at first they supplied the things that he couldn't do. Paul could not help these people in chapter 4, verse 3, and as a result, he told them, help them, because I can't. Paul could not pay for his own things, and so he says, thank you so much for the gifts that you gave me to be able to pay for those things to push forward the ministry. And they started off by helping what he couldn't do, but we see here, now they're helping by doing what he can do. That's the progression of events. Find what somebody can't do and help them do it. And then once you've done that, find somebody who's doing something and try and figure out how they do it. Figure out what they can do and start copying that. Be, be people who are following them. We see here, because of this, that it's, it's Paul's sincere heart. Because of Paul's sincere heart, they had an opportunity to pursue, specifically to pursue, uh, to follow after God's will. They may not know what there now is, but they saw that Paul told them, I have a mark. I know what my goal is. I have a mark, and I'm going for that. And you can almost imagine somebody saying, okay, well, what is my mark supposed to be? And then in verse 17, he says, okay, be followers together of me and mark them which walk. So, well, what is that? He says, here's your mark. If you can't see what God wants you to do, find somebody who can see what God wants them to do and follow that person until you can see it. If you can't follow what God is telling you to do, follow somebody who is following God. And he says, follow them until it becomes clearer to you. Again, there's no reason to just stand around and say, well, when is my now going to get here? It sure is getting late. It's the 11th hour. Just say, wait, those guys are going to work. I wonder where they're heading. I wonder if I can just follow after them and tag along. Maybe I can learn to do what they can do. Uh, to follow means to learn. You know, I didn't at one point in my life know how to use the internet. No joke. I had no idea what it was. I pronounced it Wi-Fi because it was W-I-F-I. I was like, what is this Wi-Fi stuff? And somebody pronounces, oh, no, that's Wi-Fi. And as a seven-year-old kid, you're like, wow, that's pretty fancy sounding. What does it do? Well, it takes a lot of effort to learn how to use the Internet in various uh, forms. But the way I did it is I just followed somebody who knew what they were doing. And at the library, they say, okay, do that, do that, do that, do that. And that's how you can get to the color sheet pages on the Internet. Oh, sweet. And so I do that, and I just follow them. Now, it would be foolish of me to say, oh, woe is me, I can't access the coloring sheets on the internet when somebody has already done it for me and shown me how to do it. If I am to succeed, if I am to ever grow and fulfill my now, I'm supposed to say, okay, this is what they've done. I've seen them do it. They've taught me how to do it. Now I've actually just got to do it. Now, this implies some work on our part because it seems to mean that our responsibility is to learn from other people 
more so than their responsibility is to teach from us, teach us. Uh, it doesn't say that Paul is not talking to the pastor here and saying, okay, make sure you teach every one of your people to do this, make sure you teach every one of your people to do that, but rather he's telling the people, hey, figure out what your pastor does right and do that. Learn to do what he does well. Learn to do what all the staff do. Learn to do that really well. He puts responsibility on our part, and he says, okay, once you've done what they can't do and you've helped bear their burdens that way, now help them by doing what they do so that maybe they just don't have to do it anymore. Uh, in, in Acts, one of the problems is that people are wanting the apostles to wait tables. And not that waiting tables is a bad thing, but comparatively, they have an opportunity cost. They could be doing two things. One of those is reading the Bible and preparing, and the other one is waiting tables, and both of those things are good things, but anyone could do this, and not anyone could do that. And what they had to do was say, okay, let's find other people who can follow us to do what we can do, and do that so that we can focus on the other things that not everyone can do. Well, that's the perfect picture for us. When we see the sincere heart of those around us, and we see what they're doing, we have an opportunity to pursue that same goal. And that's not to say that we're supposed to follow men. Uh, we shouldn't idolize anyone because all have sinned. And if we're not careful, we, we do that un, unknowingly and we put people higher than they should be. And when, then when they fall, we get discouraged or disappointed. That's not what he's saying. But what he is saying is, if you don't know how to follow Christ, follow somebody who is. And somewhere along the way, you'll figure it out. And that's the best way to accomplish our now. If you can't see what God's will for your life is, don't sweat it. Find somebody who knows what God's will for his life is and figure out what he's doing right and try and do that and see if that helps. That, that's your, your Bible tech support. If you can't figure out the will of God, find somebody who is fulfilling that will for, for their life, see what they're doing, see what they're not doing, and try and copy that. Try and follow them in what they do, and maybe you'll figure it out. This is discipleship in its purest form. Find what they're doing and be able to do it with them or for them. So not only do they meet Paul's needs and find their own needs, they, they find Paul's heart and they find an opportunity with that to pursue uh, God's will for their own life. And furthermore, we have a third aspect. Now, we, we already saw that Paul has his own mark. Paul is not worried about finding his now. He's not saying, uh, well, as soon as I figure out mine, I'll try and tell you guys how to figure out yours. He says, no, I have my mark. I'm walking towards it. If you want to follow on behind me, you can certainly try and find it from my pathway, and whenever you figure it out, uh, you can start your own path. We see that Paul already has his now figured out, and then he tells them, okay, follow me. But what we might consider is, what was Paul's now? What was Paul doing that was so important that he could tell other people, well, you know, if you just, just follow what I'm doing and, and it'll make sense when we get there. I can't explain it to you, but I can show it to you. And if you'll just follow along, it'll make sense to you too. Well, this is actually mentioned in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians, it's a, the book right to your left. Ephesians chapter 4. Paul gives a great explanation of his calling, his, his ultimate goal as an apostle of Jesus Christ. And he explains what not only his job, but the job of all apostles are. 
And in verse 11, he says, and he, he, God, in Jesus Christ, gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Okay, well, that's nice. God gave us apostles. For what purpose? Verse 12, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Look at verse 15. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. So this is Paul, and he says, this is the job of me, this is the job of every other apostle, and our job is for the perfection of the, of the saints. And he's defining that in this passage as coming to the knowledge and unity of faith of the Son of God, and even sums it up in verse 15 by saying, I want you all to grow up and be like Christ when you grow up. That's the goal. That's his goal. He says, I want all of you to be like Jesus when you grow up. Uh, which, on one hand, is kind of nice, and on the other hand, you know, it implies that none of us are quite grown up yet because we, we aren't quite where we should be as far as the measure of Christ. But that's what Paul's, Paul's now is. His now was simply make sure that the saints are growing and that they're growing up to be like Jesus. Okay, well, that's nice. But what does that have to do with, with these people? Well, when Paul tells these people to follow him, he's not doing this because he's narcissistic or that he wants people to follow him, but so that one day they wouldn't have to follow him anymore. The reason that God gave the apostles was so that people could look at them and learn from them about Jesus and one day be more like Jesus. And so his objective set the goal for their work. That's what their work is. His objective set the goal for their work. That's our third point. Every Christian's job, every Christian's work, every Christian's now could simply be said to be like Jesus because everything else would, be, would fall into the blank when we do that. Well, we should love one another, yes, as Christ loved us. We should be kind, yes, as Christ was kind. Everything that we're supposed to be doing, all, all the will of God for our life would be so much easier if we just were like Jesus. If we had the mind of Christ, we would be closer in, in line with what he's thinking and what he's wanting us to do. And what Paul is saying, or telling these people, is, okay, you want to, you want to be like Christ? Perfect. My job is for you to be like Christ, so here's how you do it. Follow me and do what I'm doing, because I'm still growing and learning to be like Christ too. Well, how, how exactly does one grow up and learn to be like Christ, the same way that children go up to be like mom and dad. They follow their examples until they can understand their directions. That's the way it is with children. They have no idea that you're telling them that they're using the fork upside down. They, they don't understand the words that are coming out of your mouth. They don't understand your directions, but you know they can see you using your own fork. And oftentimes children early on follow examples and they copy examples until they're able to understand directions. And this is what Paul is telling them. One day you're going to grow up and you're going to be like Christ. But until you do that, I'm going to need you to just imitate people who are a little bit more grown up than you and do what they're doing. That way, when you grow up to be like that, you'll be able to understand more clear instructions from God. And instead of just having to look at what other people are doing, you'll be able to understand what God is telling you to do. That's part of the growth process. When you can go from just taking examples to taking directions. 
And that's what Jesus told the disciples in John chapter 13. When he's washing their feet, he says, what I, what I do, thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Okay, so I don't know what God is doing now, but I will figure it out later. And then he proceeds to tell them a few verses later, I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done unto you. So here's, let me break down what Jesus is saying. He says, okay, you have no idea what I'm doing right now, and that's okay. Just do what I did until it makes sense, and it'll all work out for good. And that's what he told them to do, and that's what they did. And then suddenly on the day of Pentecost, oh, you know, that reminds me of that one time Jesus said, and then you have all these light bulb moments. Well, how did they find out those things? How were they able to finally know the hereafter without knowing the now? Well, Jesus said, you don't know the now. You'll find it out in the hereafter. But in the meantime, just do what I told you to do. Do it like the way I did it. And it'll make sense when you get to the end. You may not know what your now is. But live now. Uh, and do now what Jesus said to do. Live how Jesus said to live. And one day in the hereafter, you'll be able to look back and say, that really was my now. How about that? We can't get so fixated on trying to say, oh, well, wait, which path is the one God wants me to go on? God says, okay, follow the good path, and later on down the road, you'll know if it was the right path or not. <laughs> now, I, know, I know that may sound <clears throat> a little bit silly, uh, but that's the way it is. And, and case in point, as a teacher, oftentimes I tell people in math, show your work. And I get the strangest response. I, I never understood it, and the question is why? And I resist the urge to pull out my belt and, and to explain why, and I just say, just show your work anyway. Well, the reason I tell them that is because it's just, it's going to make sense. One day this will make sense. And that's what all parents tell their children, right? Why? It'll make sense when you get older. It'll make sense when you grow up. The same is true of us spiritually. Why are we supposed to find our now? Well, it'll make sense once you've done it. Why, what, are, what good does it do for me to grow up and be like Christ? Well, you'll understand it when you get older. Jesus told the disciples, you don't have to understand why to do it. You just have to do it. And once you've done it, it'll, it'll make sense. And the, true is, the same is true for us. We've got to figure out what our now is. Well, is, is God telling us what our now is? Is he telling us how to do it? Well, if so, let's do it. But if he's not telling you individually, directly how to do it, he might just be saying, well, I've told somebody else, go help them out, and that's what your, that's what your goal is. So Paul's objective was to perfect the saints, and yet he needed the saints' help to do so. It's almost a catch-22 situation. His job is to make them do something, but he can't make them do it. They have to choose to do it of their own will. But he could show them how to do it, and he could give them opportunities to do it. Okay, so what's, what's the application here? In the same passage in Ephesians where we see what Paul's purpose is, the reason God gave people apostles, it's the same reason he gave prophets, but also the same reason he gave evangelists and pastors and teachers. So we see our pastor's objective, his goal is set forth by God is for every one of us to grow up and to be like Christ. But the problem is he can't grow for us. And so he is unable to fulfill God's will for his life if we are unable to cooperate. 
it requires both of us to, to get on board with that. Similarly, your Sunday school teachers, teachers, as they are mentioned in Ephesians 4.11, are given for the perfecting of the saints till we come to the knowledge of God, till we grow up and be like him. All of your Sunday school teachers, all of your spiritual mentors, their job is to make sure that when you grow up, you're more like Jesus. And yet they cannot make you be more like Jesus. You have to choose to do that. But God's will for their, them, their life, is for, for them to help you to do it. And so when we get in the way of that, when we refuse to find our now or to accomplish our now, we are not only hindering our own lives, we are hindering somebody else's will as well. Which goes back to the, the imagery of the yoke and the oxen. One ox is not able to do what two oxen could. And yet, that's what's required with our church. It's, it's required with any task, any time we're trying to find out what God wants us to do. None of our teachers, none of our staff, our pastor, none of them can fulfill God's will for our lives. Uh, because that's our job. That's what we have to do. And what I really want you to get out of this, if nothing else, is that God has a will for your life, and there's two ways to find it. You can either find out how, or you can find out who. If he, if he tells you how, great. If he doesn't tell you how, it doesn't necessarily mean you're not saved. It just means, okay, well, I've already told you in some way, shape, or form, you're just not looking. If you can't hear it directly from me, maybe you should just hear it from somebody else because that'll be a little bit easier for you to understand. And I would love that. Anytime I pray for things, I'm always asking God, could you just make this really, really clear so that it would be impossible for me not to realize that this is what you want? That's, that's kind of what he says here with finding your who, okay? You may not be able to discern spiritually. You may not be spiritually mature enough to discern what God's will for you is, but you can certainly find somebody who can figure out what God's will for their life is, and you can help them. And God says, maybe that's my will for you. You can try it out, and I'll tell you if it's not.